0: Lord, what a, what a great promise that you hear us when we call out to you, and Lord, over these next few moments, we invite you to speak into our hearts and our minds to encourage us and challenge us as we open your word. In your most precious name we pray, amen. You all may be seated. It's a great Sunday to uh, be able to have you here with us present, even those of you who are online, because we're beginning a brand new series together today, so you get to get in on the very first part of it as uh, we talk about um, some of the divisiveness that we wrestle with and struggle with as a nation and as God's people in the midst of that particular nation. So I found out something about myself. I've known it for a while, but there are certain people that when I see them, it just kind of triggers something in me. I don't know if you've experienced that or not, but you know, maybe I'm driving or I'm walking and I see a young man who's got his pants, you know, down below his buttocks. And I look at that and I shake my head and I think to myself, what, what is wrong with this picture here? Or I drive up to an exit and I see somebody sitting there and they hold one of these signs that says, you know, help needed and God bless. And inside my mind, I just kind of shake my head and I think, why don't you just go get a job? Or I'm having a conversation maybe with somebody I don't know, and they share with me kind of a, you know, this philosophical position that they happen to have that I just think to myself, are you crazy thinking that way? Or I'm talking to somebody, and I hear they vote for somebody, this person or that person. And again, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, what, what is wrong with you? Now, I know I'm a preacher, so I'm not supposed to think those kind of things, right? And some of you, that was the first thought you had. It was like, Doug, you shouldn't be thinking that thought. But then most of you are probably thinking, I know exactly what you mean. Maybe not the same exact people that you're talking about, but there are times where I see somebody and it just like my mind goes critical or my mind goes negative. And maybe for you it's you know it 's just kind of the way you happen to be raised. you were raised, and this was a particular group of people that well, you know they were just kind of less than, and that 's just the way you were taught, or maybe you had a really bad experience with someone, and you kind of the rest of your life have taken that one person and applied them to a whole group of people, or maybe you went to a crazy church when you were growing up, and you were taught somehow that You know, according to the Scriptures, this is a group of people that it's okay for you to hate. I mean, we all wrestle with this in our minds, or at least most of us do, and wonder, you know, I'm not supposed to think this way. I'm not really supposed to have these kind of thoughts in my mind, and yet we do. We tend to view the outside, the external, the things people say, rather than letting God help us to see their heart. Well, thankfully, when Jesus was on this earth, Jesus encountered the very kind of people that I'm talking about. People who in that day and age in that culture and society were pretty much those who were on the outside. They were considered less than. And we get the privilege of coming alongside Jesus and getting a glimpse into how he reacted and he responded to those kind of people. And the question that you and I have to wrestle with is this, am I going to keep doing things the way I do it, or am I going to allow Jesus to be the template to determine how I tend to react and to respond to people? So today we're beginning a brand new series entitled, Jesus and the Marginalized. And we're going to be taking a look at the life of Jesus. Again, we're we're in the book, uh, the gospel of Luke this entire year. And so we're staying in Luke and we're taking a look at the way Jesus reacted and responded to some people that in that day and age were kind of seen as the outside, you know, those who um, the culture said were marginalized. And we're going to use this as basically a series to help us to be able to think through: Am I going to honor Jesus by following His example? So there's a couple things that are foundational to this series that we're going to look at today, that we're going to kind of keep in our minds. The first one comes from Luke, in which Luke makes this particular statement about Jesus. Jesus himself says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Okay, the lost, at least at one time, included all of us in this room, includes the whole world. In other words, Jesus so loved the world that he gave his life for absolutely everybody. And that's critical for us to understand. God's love for absolutely everyone. And as we look at the life of Jesus, we're going to notice a couple of things as we study from this particular perspective. We're going to notice the fact that Jesus loved everyone. No matter who he came in contact with, he loved them. There was one group of people that he had more difficulty with than anyone, but he still loved them. But that was the religious leaders, the ones that were called to be by God, to be shepherds of his people. And they had shirked that responsibility. They'd used their power and position for their own self-centered interest. And so Jesus was really harsh on them. But to everyone else, particularly those who were on the outside or marginalized, Jesus showed amazing love. And what we learned is that in the process, you and I, we absolutely have no right To be against anyone in other words it is incompatible to be a follower of jesus and to be anti anyone now i also want to say that i know and you would agree with me christianity is under attack today like possibly no time in the past several hundred years i mean to be a christian is to be on the side of just being vehemently attacked time and time again for the things That we believe to come out of scripture but why would that surprise us because that's the very thing that jesus warned us would happen to us that the world would eventually call that which god says is good evil and then the world would say oh no evil that's really good why would we be surprised jesus told us again and again and again that that would happen to us For you and I, as followers of Jesus, the real question is, how am I going to respond to that? How am I going to react to those people that are very different? People who have different beliefs, who look different, they have different color of skin, um, people who even are antagonistic or even hate us as a group of people. How am I going to react and respond to those kind of people? See, oftentimes, so for me personally, I struggle with responding out of fear and anger, and anxiety, because I got four grandkids between eight and three. I did the ages right, didn't I? Eight and three, eight and two. Okay, eight and two, and I mean, they are special to me. I love them, and I see the kind of world that they're growing up in, and it really, it bothers me a lot. In some ways, that might even surprise some of you, and so there's times where I can react in fear and anger or, uh, about the things that I see happening around me. But what I have to do is ask myself, so how does Jesus respond to people like that? What is what can we see and am I willing am I willing to love people like that like Jesus did in spite of the things that I see around me. So we're going to wrestle with that. It's going to be a challenging series, but we're going to be in Luke. Today we're in Luke chapter 18. So I want to encourage you to open your Bibles, turn to Luke 18. Those of you are online, you can click the Bible tab. We'll have it up on the screen. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a story that Jesus tells to us there, and we're going to take a look at the very first group of those who were marginalized in that culture, and that was children. Now, a Jew had a pretty good perspective of children, right? They valued children most of the time Except for mostly, it was like you, you know you should be seen and not heard, and sometimes not even seen until you reached an age in which you you were old enough to be able to be considered almost an adult. Now the Roman world was very different. I mean, in the Roman world, um, infanticide—the killing of babies—was that happened all the time. In fact, the father of the fa- family. When there was a birth of a child, the midwife would lay the child on the ground, and the father right then would determine whether or not they would keep that child. I mean, they were well within their rights to kill it or just to set it out by the door as trash. I mean, that was just the way the Roman world was in that day and age. That was the view they had. In fact, until they were age one, a baby wasn't even considered a real person. They couldn't even have citizenship in the Roman country there. And so that was... The culture that Jesus steps into as He shares with us these words that we're going to read together today. So again, we're in um, Math or sorry about that. We're in Luke chapter 18, and we're beginning in verse 15. And where we're going today is basically this: unless you and I value children as Jesus does, we do not have the heart that Jesus has. Or maybe said a different way. You make God mad when you don't let his children get close to him. So let's read this together. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 17. It says, People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so thankfully, what we have God doing is having Luke record the words of Jesus to give to us kind of a handle in a culture that considered children less than, here's how God through his son Jesus sees them. So verse 15 again, it says, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. So it was a big deal in Jewish culture. You can look in the Old Testament, you see this happening, even at the birth of Jesus. But, um, you know, a father figure, a priest, um, a profound teacher, you would bring your children to them when they were very young, and he would lay their hands on them and give them a blessing or pronounce a blessing over them. It would be a blessing of God's work in their life or what God would do. And so that was something that was very significant, was a part of Jewish culture when Jesus was there. But imagine this. Here's Jesus, right, who um, was a miracle worker, a great teacher. If I was a parent or if I'm a grandparent, I'm going to say to my kids, hey, you need to get the kids to Jesus and let Jesus bless them. And so I think this was something that happened quite often. And so the question really was, it says there, the disciples, when they saw this, they rebuked them. In other words, they rebuked the parents who were bringing their children to Jesus. And it's like, why would they do that? You know, maybe they were just tired of little kids hanging around, or maybe they saw them as carrier monkeys, or, you know, maybe they felt like, you know, we need to protect Jesus in his time, or he doesn't really have time for little kids. Whatever it was, they made some decision together, we're going to nip this in the bud. One of the things that is very possible is that Jesus saw in them what he saw in the religious leaders of the day. If you look up, I think it's verse 8 or 9 of this chapter, Jesus is about to tell a story to people who think more highly of themselves than they ought and who look down on other people. That phrase, look down on, is a judgment of value phrase. In other words, these religious leaders looked at themselves and they were like way up here. And they looked at other people and they were like down here. They didn't really count for anything at all. And I think Jesus was seeing that in his disciples, his followers there. And I know that it was something that he wanted to stop. So verse 16, but Jesus called the children to him. And said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as them. So I love this. So Jesus is maybe sitting somewhere. You got these families coming in down this way, which, you know, when you got families and little kids, it's going to probably make a little bit of noise, right? And so the disciples go out there and they're stopping them from coming and Jesus sees this. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, no, come on kids, come on down, come over here. And then he looks at his disciples. These words are for the disciples. Their words of rebuke, he says, no, let the little children come to me. And then what does he add to it? And do not what? Do not what? Do not hinder them. Say that again. Do not hinder them. In other words, don't block their way. Don't get in the way of children coming to me. You want to make God mad? Get in the way of his children coming to him. And Jesus is like rebuking him, the the disciples there, who he loves, right? But why is he doing that for them and for us? He's doing it because he's showing to us his value. That this is what it's like if you want to be a part of my kingdom. You need to have the heart of a little child. These are model citizens if you want to be a part of my kingdom. And by saying that and declaring that, what Jesus is saying is, these little children, they are a priority to me. And they need to be a priority to you. He goes on there in verse 17, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. So what what is it about a little child that Jesus says we need to be like? I mean, little children are cute, right? They're a lot of fun. They laugh at a lot of different kinds of things. I mean, let's face it. Little kids can be annoying, right? I mean, they can be selfish and they can scream at two o'clock in the morning for apparently no reason at all, and they can be have all kinds. I mean, it's like, what is it about them? Well, if you look at the context of all of Luke chapter eighteen, this particular account is sandwiched between Jesus telling a story about the Pharisee and the tax collector, or the publican and the sinner, whatever you say, but and then he tells the story about the rich young ruler who wanted to be a follower of Jesus but couldn't give up all his money. It, it's, the context is, is this idea of humility. See, little kids know they don't have any issue with pride, right? Like those religious leaders it's like, well, Jesus, you can accept me because look at who I am and all the things I've done. Kids don't think about that. They don't even worry about that, right? They can be friends with anyone. Don't you love that about a kid? It's like, you know, they can be on the playground, and next thing you know, they got three or four friends because they go up, and they have no pride. They don't have to worry about that. And then kids, they don't care about money when they're young. It's just not a big deal to them. I mean, proof is when you give them a present. What's more important to a little kid? The present you gave them or that cool box that it was all wrapped in and stuff? We saw that even yesterday when Grayson was opening one of his presents, he started playing with the bubble wrap, not the present. It's like this humility, it's like if I want to be a part of God's kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus came to give to us, being like a little child means I have this humble heart, a willingness to recognize I don't have anything to bring to Jesus. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need all my accolades just needs a humble heart. And in the midst of that, Jesus gives us this value that if or unless we value children and put them as a priority into our lives, we, we don't have the heart of Jesus. And if you want to make God mad, just try to keep his kids away from him. So what I want to do with this story is take it and and kind of turn now and look at you and I and say, okay, so Jesus teaches this valuable lesson. So what with me? What do I need to learn? What are the things that I need to to gain out of this? So I I invited Brandy, our children's minister, to kind of take a moment and share her heart for children's ministry and why that's a value to us as a church. So listen to Brandy share this.
1: Hey guys, I'm Brandy Swafford, the children's minister here at Wildwood Christian Church, and I kind of wanted to share with you guys a bit of my heart for children and why I feel like children's ministry is so important, and even why Wildwood Christian Church, the leadership here, feels that ministry, children's ministry is important. Growing up, uh, my family, we always went to church. Um, church was always a priority. We moved around a lot. My dad was in the military, and one of the first priorities they had was we we're going to find a church that we we're going to attend. And um, if the doors, my parents' philosophy was, if the doors were open, we're there in the building. We, if it's a Bible study, if it's an event, if it's, uh, it's whatever it might be. And if, if the janitor was cleaning, my brother and I w- had, were told that we are to help them clean. And so we are very much involved. But you see, the problem came in is that, you know, I, I went to all these things and was in all these plays and everything, and I had all this head knowledge. I knew all the right things. But it never really infiltrated my heart. My faith was based solely on my parents' faith. I didn't have that relationship with Jesus. My relationship with Jesus was through my parents. And that is really my goal. I want kids to have that relationship with Jesus and understand that he loves them and wants them and died on the cross for them. You know, sometimes we kind of treat children like they're not gonna get this it's just too much over their head and yeah there are some things in the bible that are over their head and there's some things in the bible that are over my head i'm an adult and it's still over my head so we can only imagine with kids but here's the thing so they belong to the kingdom just like me and you There's not this separate like playground next to the kingdom that the kids are playing on while the adults are over here, you know, doing the Jesus's work. It's they're together with us in the kingdom of Christ. There is not a separate Jesus for them. They have the same Jesus as me and you. There's not a separate God for them. They have the same God as me and you. They do not have a separate Holy Spirit. It's the same one. They are loved dearly by God. And we need to treat them that way. I have definitely failed several times on how I treat kids in a way that is communicating to them that Jesus loves them. Because if I'm not treating them with love, patience, and kindness and gentleness, um, what is that saying to them about who Jesus is? We are Christians and it is our job to be Jesus for people, to show Jesus to people, show God's love to people. And if we're treating them poorly, which like I said, I've definitely been guilty of this, then that is communicating to them something different of who God is. And we don't want that. I don't want that. I want them to understand and have that relationship and see the value in it and see that Jesus loves them. You know, I learned early on in ministry that how I treated kids whenever they interrupted me when I was having a conversation was very important. You see, sometimes whenever they would interrupt me, I would just like hold up my finger and like keep going. Or I would just kind of ignore them because, you know, it is kind of rude to interrupt people. We can all admit that, but it really wasn't getting a great response. And sometimes the kid would cry and different things would happen. And I learned early on that this is how I needed to do this, is that when the child came up, I'm having a conversation and interrupted. I acknowledge that child. Hey, I understand that you're really excited to tell me something and I'm excited to hear it. But hold on just a second. Let me finish this conversation and then I'll get right back to you. I'm acknowledging them. I'm telling them I hear them and they're important, but let me finish here. So it's still teaching that habit of like, let's not interrupt, but there's a better way of going about it. And sometimes we all need to really evaluate how we're interacting with kids. Jesus, you know, he was somebody that did not discriminate against different people he didn't treat them like there were different parts of the kingdom for them we are all part of the kingdom and we see that in the fact that whenever the disciples tried to hold the kids back jesus said let them come to me and if we are going to be people that value children in the kingdom of god we have to treat them in a way that jesus would treat them and with love and kindness and patience I just encourage you to really evaluate, are you being Jesus to the kids that are around you and that you interact with? I understand that working with kids and like being around kids isn't for everybody. I really get that, trust me. But we can still be Jesus to them. They are so loved by Jesus, just like you and me, and we should treat them like that.
0: Let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. So let me visit with you parents a little bit. And my goal here is not to make you feel guilty. I really wrestled with being, you know, a kind and loving parent. But it's good periodically to be able to ask yourself the question, okay, am am I really seeing my kids as the greatest responsibility in regard to bringing them to Jesus and letting them know about Jesus' love for them? Because there is no greater responsibility. And so parents, you you need to take a moment and look at your priorities and evaluate that and say, okay, are the choices that we're making in our life, the way we go about allocating our time and energy and resources, is it demonstrating to our kids that we want them to know Jesus, that we're not getting in their way, but we're bringing them to Jesus? Or what about your example that you set? You know, I mean, even being here today or the time that you sit down and pray and read God's word or even how you react and respond. We all know those are great examples that our kids need to be able to see that. And so I just want to encourage you to spend some time evaluating. Am I really, are we really, you know, putting them as a priority in regard to leading them to Jesus and letting them come to Him? I love what Moses records in the Old Testament. He says this in Deuteronomy He says, teach them to your children. So the context of that, the them, is the word of God, the law of God, the truth of God. And so Moses is saying this, teach that, the law of God, to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. In other words, it just needs to be incorporated in every part of your life. And if you struggle with understanding what that looks like, have a conversation with Brandy or talk to Elliot and You know, depending upon the age of your kids, or find an older couple in the church that you see, you know, the relationship they have with their kids and ask them about that and get that kind of encouragement from them. But I also want to talk to us as a church as a whole. You know, our greatest responsibility, or one of our greatest responsibilities, is that we're helping the children who are part of this church come to know Jesus more and more. Do you know that over a quarter to over 25% of our budget is allocated for ministry to those who are high school age and down? I think that's great. I think it demonstrates that that's a value and that's a priority. But it, you know, it takes each and every one of us. Now we don't want all of you working in children's ministry because I know some of you. You would be much better off working in other areas, but some of you God's been pulling on your heart. Like for example, we don't have Ministry, a nursery ministry right now for our families with younger kids because we need some more volunteers as we move back into, right, being able to have that for our kids. So if you could share in that area, um, talk to Brandy or Elliot. um, You could work on Sunday morning. You could work with the youth on Sunday evening, and. That may be something that God has called you to do and has put on your heart, and you need to be involved in doing that, and that's a great thing to do. But you know, what about when we're the church out there? Because 95% of the time, we are not the church gathered together, we are the church out there. See, the church is not a building. You know, it's not these walls, the church is you and me, those of us who have said yes to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so every time we leave this place, our families, where we work, our neighborhoods, you know, the groups that we're a part of, anything that we do, we are the church there. And so as we're out in that sphere of influence, are we showing a value and a priority to children Um, how how are we doing at bringing those children to Jesus Christ Um, I think anything that puts a child at risk of life or of knowing Jesus Christ is important for us to wrestle with because for some of us that's maybe what we're called to do obviously the unborn that's a priority to us but what about aliens those who are at the border those children what what are we doing about that or orphans who have no parents to be able to help them in their homes? Or what about just the kids in your neighborhood? Are you the grouchy old person, you know, that nobody ever wants to come up to? We avoid your house at Halloween, right? Or are you using that opportunity to influence them and show the love of Jesus Christ to those kids? How you and I choose to apply that philosophical template in our life demonstrates whether we're really listening to Jesus. In other words, if I say, well, this is how I raised, and this is what I think is right philosophically, and I say, that's my template, and then I come to Jesus and I see what Jesus says, and I can give excuses like, well, Jesus really didn't know what he was talking about, or, you know, it was a different day or a different culture. That's not following Jesus. To follow Jesus in all of these areas is to say, okay here's the template that Jesus established for us. Here's how he says we need to be living for him and loving others for him. And then I say, okay, that needs to be applied in my life. What needs to change in me so that I'm honoring Jesus Christ? And so I'm helping those to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So who are the children that God wants to use you to bring to Jesus? Who are they? If you've got kids, that's the starting place, right? That's where you begin. That's the most important priority to you. Grandkids, kids in your extended family, kids in our church family, but what am I doing to help them come to Jesus? But imagine, imagine this. Picture this church family right here. And we begin to make or we continue to make or we step up the priority of helping to bring those children to Jesus. We see that value in Jesus. Imagine the kind of impact it could have on on our church family, but then begin to imagine the impact and the influence that that could have in our witness for Jesus Christ in the entire world. Let the little children come to me. Paul Offit is a professor of pediatrics and vaccinology at the University of Pennsylvania. He had very good reason to feel that religion hindered morality. Back in 1991, there was uh, in the city of Philadelphia there was a very severe outbreak of measles. He was um, he was an attending physician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia during that season. Um, Several hundred children got sick with measles. Over nine children died. And he said what separated uh, you know, the children who got sick with measles from those who um, you know, were just sick kids was, a, was an issue that really didn't need to occur. He said it centered around two basic churches in the Philadelphia area who influenced several hundred kids because of the schools that they happened to have, but they said, you know what? We don't do vaccinations. In fact, we don't even seek medical help for our kids at all. And as a result of those two predominant churches, um, this became an outbreak in that particular area. And that was one of the biggest things that just kind of influenced this Paul Offutt to write a book that's entitled, Bad Faith, How Religious Belief Undermines Modern Medicine. He wrote that in 2015. And he said his experience taught him a lot about you know, not trusting religion. But before he wrote that book, what's interesting is he felt like, okay, I need to give Jesus a fair shot. And so what he did is he opened the Bible and he began to read about Jesus. He began to, to read about the history of medicine. And as a result of reading and really studying that, he changed his perception. In fact, Jesus' advocacy for children moved him to tears. And so here's what he concluded. He says, independent of whether you believe in the existence of God, you have to be impressed with the man described as Jesus of Nazareth. At the time of Jesus' life, one historian said that child abuse was the crying vice of the Roman Empire. Infanticide was common. Abandonment was common. That's because children were property no different than slaves. But Jesus stood up for children Cared about them when those around him typically didn't. And Offutt now calls Christianity the single greatest breakthrough against child abuse in history. And he cites the first Christian Roman emperor who, in 315, outlawed infanticide, the killing of the born. He um, began the work of creating a welfare system in 321 to be able to help poor families, not to have to sell their children just so they could exist. And ultimately, he acknowledged the massive impact of Jesus and Christianity on medicine and on ethics. I mean, imagine if we really valued children as Jesus did. Imagine the impact that that could have on our culture, in our community, in our society, and in our families, and in our church. So here's the question that I want you to wrestle with over the next week. Just This is the question I want you to think through. Who are the children Jesus wants me to bring to him? Who are, who are they? For some of you, it's your children. That's your priority right now. For some of you, maybe it's your grandkids. Maybe it's some kid in the neighborhood who makes you crazy. Maybe it's kids in this church and you feel like, you know what? I need to step into ministry here. Maybe it's kids down in the city. Lucas is going to be with us here in a couple of weeks and talk to us about Jesus and the poor. Maybe it's some kids in Panama and David's well and that ministry there. I don't know what it is, but I want you to wrestle with this question. Who are the children Jesus wants me to bring to him? And let God work on your heart with that question. So today we're going to close the time of our message with... um, it's a beautiful song, it, it comes from the priestly blessing of the Old Testament. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. It's been turned into a song, but there's a powerful piece in this song that reminds us of the potential impact that we can have if we choose to value what Jesus values. So as we worship, as we sing this song, Let God work on your heart and draw you closer to him. Let me pray, and then let's worship together. Father, we love you. We need your help to overcome these areas that we have in our life of critical thinking, of judgmental attitudes. Father, may we have the heart of Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.